Hi everyone, welcome to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we interview Asian entrepreneurs and professionals around the world. And for this season, we're going to take our conversations deeper about our Asian identity and hustle stories. We also want to announce that we are hosting our first ever Asian Hustle Network Uplifted Conference next spring in Las Vegas. For more info and to reserve your seats, check out our website at asianhustlenetwork.com. Don't forget to grab a copy of our recently released book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, which tells the personal stories of how 21 Asian American entrepreneurs are shifting culture. You can order it on our website as well. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Tiffany Moon, award-winning anesthesiologist, frontline worker, super mom to six-year-old twins, and philanthropist Dr. Tiffany Moon took over televisions this year as the first medical doctor and first-generation Chinese-American cast member to franchise history to be a part of the Real Housewives of Dallas. Now moving into the content creating space, Dr. Moon has most recently launched her very own YouTube channel, Paging Dr. Moon, with various lifestyle, medical, and comedic videos. Dr. Moon resides in Dallas with her husband, Daniel Moon, Vice President and General Counsel for Jewelry and Accessory Brand, Sam Moon. Together, they're parents to six-year-old twin girls, Chloe and Madison, and Tiffany is stepmom to 16-year-old twins, Nathan and Nicole. When she's not in front of the camera or saving lives, Dr. Moon also serves on the board of directors of The Family Place, an organization that empowers victims of family violence by providing safe housing, counseling, and skills that create independence while building community. Dr. Tiffany Moon, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. Of course, we're excited to have you here. And my goodness, what a introduction and what a resume. <laughs> that was a mouthful, Maggie. I think you should get a break from reading that. <laughs> it's only because you're so impressive. Talking about exactly. It. <laughs> it comes to show the type of person that you are, right? So we want to hop into your story, like walk us through your childhood. How'd you, I, I feel like everything you've done, you, you did such a badass job at it. And I want to understand like, who is this person that's driving everything, right? Who are you? So what was your childhood like? My childhood was fragmented. And I say that because my parents left me in the care of my grandparents when I was three years old to come to America to study, which I think is a common thing that a lot of Asian parents do. I think it was a sacrifice that they made to leave me behind and not see me for three years. And it, it sort of made our relationship difficult because when I was six years old, I got put on a plane by myself and landed in JFK, not having seen my parents for the last three years and not knowing any English and, and torn away from my grandparents who basically raised me and were all that I knew. So it was, I had a difficult childhood. I mean, you can imagine that not knowing English and starting first grade at the age of six in a not so great neighborhood in the middle of the Bronx in New York was difficult. <laughs> 
I mean, that is, I mean, I'm sorry to hear about the childhood story. And it just maybe reflects some more about your achievements. To be honest, it's like, I think we looked up your bio and you like graduated top of your class at age 23. You actually graduated early from college too, right? So Yeah, I was, I was 19 when I graduated from Cornell. So I, I think that's a little early. Oh yeah, that's, that's really early, actually. A couple of years early, man. Like who, who motivated you so much to like drive yourself? Is that, has that inner passion always been a part of you since the day you were born? Did that value get installed in you by your grandparents, your parents? Like how did this Tiffany, how does this highly ambitious person come about? (laughs) I think a lot of that probably was externally driven in the beginning because my parents would always say things like, you know, we sacrificed our good life in China in, to bring you to America so that you could have more opportunities for a better life. Like I heard that all the time. Like it was this lecture that my dad would give every time I would like not eat every kernel of rice in my bowl. You know, it was it was a common lecture that I heard. And I think inside I did always feel the need to please. I still do in many ways. And I felt the need to somehow repay my parents for their huge sacrifice that they made on my behalf. I felt that if, you know, they gave up all those things in China to bring me over so that I could become someone, then I better become someone. (laughs) I better not have those sacrifices be for naught. And I guess that's where it started. Well, they must be so proud of you. I mean, to, for you to become just everything. And yeah, I think we all heard that story too about, oh, we sacrificed so much for you to come here. It's like a common theme, I guess, especially in my childhood and Maggie's childhood as well. And yeah. so you have to study hard because, you know, we sacrificed so much for you to be here. It puts a lot of pressure on us, really. It really shapes us to become who we are. In some ways, I feel like throughout most of our childhood, that sort of just pigeonholes us into like certain careers, right? It's like, I want you to be a doctor, a lawyer, engineer. I think kind of funny enough, all three of us fall into the three categories, right? Doctor, lawyer, engineer, (laughs) engineer. But then what really stood out to me the most is the fact that you decided to pursue your passions, right? And this may not fall into like the pigeonhole of like being a doctor only. And that tends to be the case with a lot of people that they feel like, oh, I'm a doctor. All I can do is become a doctor and that's it for the rest of my life, right? I'm just in this container. But for you, I feel like you continuously branch out of the container and prove that you're just more than a doctor, that you're doing all these things. Proven by your introduction earlier, you're doing a lot of different things. You're a TV show, you're a TikTok star, you're your mother. You do a lot, you put on a lot of different hats. And I'm kind of curious too, like what gave you the reason to do more and become more than just a doctor, right? How did you become the star on The Real Housewives of Dallas? I'm kind of curious about that story. That is an interesting story. So, you know, when I was young and I had this intense need to prove to my parents that I was worthy of their love and their sacrifice that they had made, I was singularly focused on pleasing them, which meant excelling in school, being what they called a good girl, which meant don't talk, don't offer your opinion when your opinion is not being asked, which it never was. And don't make a fuss, you know, keep your head down, do your work, get good grades and, and, you know, become a doctor. Right. 
And so I did. I did everything my parents asked of me. I graduated Cornell when I was 19, went straight into medical school, graduated at the top of my class when I was 23, went to the best anesthesia residency program in the country, which is UCSF, graduated from there, got a coveted attending position at the age of 28. And like half my residents were younger than me and I'm teaching them. And I looked around and I was like, is this it? Like, is this all I'm going to do? Like I've achieved the pinnacle of my, you know, personal career. Like I'm going to sit here and be in attending and get married and have kids. And I just thought, you know, there's this whole other side of my brain that I never got to use that I had, you know, all these creative passions and I wanted to make people laugh and be a comedian. And I mean, can you imagine if I had told my mother that I wanted to be a comedian (laughs) or, you know, something else um, when I grew up? I mean, I was told in no uncertain terms, like you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. And I hated history class, you know, setting all these old things that happen and laws and stuff. And I really did love medicine, biology and technology, and I still do. So luckily for me, one of the professions I was offered, I actually wanted to go into. But once I sort of achieved everything there was, I was like, this can't this can't be all like there's got to be more to life than just pleasing your parents. Wow, that is so powerful. And I think a lot of people in our age and community can relate to that, too. And going back to your original point, you know, our parents did sacrifice a lot for us. And I think that's why we tend to feel a sense of, you know, we we owe them a lot for what they did. Right. A lot of our immigrant parents, they sacrificed everything. They gave up everything and had only the clothes on their backs. So it's like if they want us to become entrepreneurs or if they want us to become engineers or doctors and lawyers, then it's almost like we feel like we have to. Right. Because they did so much for us. But. I think now in our generation, we're now realizing that there is more to life than our nine to five or, you know, the the role or the position that our parents want us to be in. And I'm so glad that you realize that it's just very, very powerful. And obviously medicine and, you know, you being a doctor has been such a big, big part of your life. You know, you graduate at the top of your class and you were an oral board examiner for the American Board of Anesthesiology. You've published over three dozen original manuscripts, reviews and book chapters. And I think you had mentioned that you didn't see a lot of women doctors on screen, on TV. Right. And I think that's so important for us to build representation, because if we don't see ourselves on screen, on TV, it's like, we don't think that there's anything out there like us, right? There's, there's no one that's like doing what we're doing, what we want to do. So I want to know, like, because you didn't see a lot of that on reality TV, or this doesn't even have to apply to just doctors in general, but we don't see a lot of Asian women on TV at all. Right. And so I want to know, like how that shaped your mindset and how that kind of contributed to you doing what you do today in anesthesiology, as well as, you know, being on the real housewives, like how did that shape your mindset? How did that kind of push you to believe like, you know, I need to set that foundation. Like I need to build representation and be the person who can be an inspiration to other young girls too. You're, you are a pioneer in this space. So we want to understand <laughs> everything about it. <laughs> um, 
I totally understand what you're saying, Maggie. When I was a young girl and I was allowed to watch TV on the rare occasion, there was no one that looked like me. And I always thought that I was kind of ugly because I didn't have, you know, blonde hair and blue eyes and, you know, got made fun of. And I sort of would just take it. You know, I I didn't have the voice that I have now. And I remember going home to my parents and saying, like, people at school are making fun of me and calling me Ching Chong and doing the eye thing. And my mom was like, just ignore them. They're stupid, you know, but like she didn't empower me to speak up against them. She told me just ignore it. Like, you know, they're not actively hurting you. So just ignore it, which I did. And as I grew up and started to find my voice, I thought that maybe now that I found my voice, I could use that for other little girls who still haven't quite found theirs yet. And I could help them find their voice by showing them an example of how I came to find mine, which is one of the reasons that I decided to join the Real Housewives of Dallas, because You know, if you had told me the year I graduated medical school that 10 years later, I'd be joining a reality TV show, which mostly features drunk middle aged women arguing with each other. I would have told you that you need to not take drugs. But with that being said, so much happened in my life in the last 10 years that I thought if I can go on this show and show people that you can be a professional, but still have a sense of humor and be in a good marriage and be a good mother, but still be vulnerable about your shortcomings and, you know, your struggles with work-life balance. Just be real and authentic and show people your wins and show people your fails and let them come along for the ride because viewers are smart and they see through things. These people with crafted storylines and things that they want to get across. And I said, I don't have any point that I want to get across. I just want to live my life and I want to show it in an authentic way so that other little girls can hopefully look up to that and say, well, if she can do it, then I can too. Yeah, that's really, really amazing. I'm really, really glad that you are authentic to yourself and you're finding the voice for not only for yourself, but the, you know, the little girls out there that that are watching and looking up to you. And I know you mentioned earlier that your your mom told you to like stay quiet, ignore all the racist stuff. We know this also happened to show as well. You know, there's a couple of racist remarks. How did you, I know we read some articles, but I don't want to spoil it for our listeners. How did you, so first of all, tell us what happened. And then like, how did you deal with the situation knowing that you have your voice now and knowing that you're willing to use it to speak up? When I was brought on the show, one of my castmates had some video resurface where she was sort of mocking her slanted eyes and saying, what kind of Asian do you think I am? It was sort of this supposed to be funny video that I think in retrospect, she you know, decided wasn't appropriate and quite ignorant to put out there. But they sort of put the onus on me as the newest cast member and, of course, the only Asian in the group to address her. So all of a sudden I have this huge burden on my shoulders to sort of explain to her why what she did was wrong. And, you know, I didn't come on the show to talk about racism necessarily. You know, that became what it ended up being, which is fine. But it was kind of a big order to to put on my shoulders from the very beginning. 
That actually was fine. She and I are fine. I explained to her why um, that could be insulting to a lot of people and shared with her my personal story about people actually doing that to me as a child. And she was like, oh, my God, I can't even imagine those sorts of things happening. Now I understand. Thank you for you know teaching me that and sharing something about yourself with me. So we're good. That was all fine. But then as the season goes on, another of my castmates, after I had taken her to a dim sum lunch, which I eat every weekend with my family, offered the group chicken feet, which, you know, I get is not everyone's, you know, flavor, but I, it was like a fun moment. And the producers were like, oh my God, make them all eat a chicken feet. You know, it's like a TV moment. Um, and we were all in on the fun, except one of my castmates subsequently after dim sum decided to put on her Instagram a picture of her dog food line and say, chicken feet. No, thanks. I'd rather eat dog food. And that's where I drew the line. And I was like, that's not OK. So I was like, that's really offensive in this age. You know, you can't say stuff like that. Like everyone's very touchy about things like that right now. And she just saw absolutely no problem with it, doubled down and was like, you know, and then I mean, this is also crazy to explain to people who haven't watched the show because they're like, what? And then she ended up calling me a racist because I had made a TikTok about my mom who used to throw her house slipper at me whenever I would talk back to her, not study or something like that. And it's sort of this ha ha, you know, about our moms, you know, hitting us with spoons and slippers and other things. And she she said that I was racist because stereotyping is racism and apparently making fun of something that happened in your actual life is stereotyping. And and so she just jumped to that conclusion. And then subsequently, her husband tweeted that anti-racism is racism. The last time they tried that in Germany, it didn't work out so well. I wonder how many of your patients would be comfortable with your open, vile racism. And then tagged my employer, who is a large medical university here in town and who his father happens to have an endowed chairmanship at, which means they've donated millions of dollars to have like an endowed chair position named after his father. So you can see why at that time (laughs) I was very concerned and had to contact my lawyers to get involved because they were actually coming after my actual real job and career, which I've worked my entire life for over nothing over what? Like, I don't even, I still don't understand what the argument is. Oh, wow. That's insane. That's and a lot, right? It and is a lot. I'm so I, trying I can't, to When I process. explain this to people, I'm like, okay, you have to just be quiet for the next five minutes and not interrupt, which you guys did an amazing job at because people want to interrupt. They're like, wait, but then she said, and I'm like, just let me finish. And then you can ask questions because it's super convoluted and crazy. <laughs> oh, wow. And first of all, the anti-racism is racism. Like, I feel like that doesn't even make sense, but it doesn't yeah. even make sense. I'm like, Did you not run this by anybody before you put it out into like, you know, the universe like you didn't check. You didn't have any friends 
or a publicist or <laughs> to yeah. like read through something before you just tweeted it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, that happens to a lot of people, you know, whenever we experience racist attacks and, you know, for her to gaslight your situation, it's, a, it's an experience. It's a personal experience that you had. You know, I, I think a lot of people from who, who have immigrant parents, they deal with, you know, their, their parents throwing slippers whenever we get in trouble and stuff like that. But that's a personal, real experience for us, you know, and like, like I think a lot of people would say like, oh, that never happened or, you know, to just like bash on that situation. It's it's very inconsiderate, you know, for, for them to like bash on a personal experience. But I love the fact that you go the extra mile to actually try to educate that person and try to make them empathize, right? Because I think a lot of the reason why racist attacks happen is because they don't know how to empathize because they don't realize the struggles that we actually go through. And a lot of times we just think about ourselves. We don't realize that people go through these experiences and have a lot of adversary and struggles that we go through. But there are times when they know and learn about these situations, they learn about these challenges and they're able to empathize. They're able to be like, okay, I'm going to learn more about your culture. Maybe I just misunderstood. And you went that extra mile with the first person and she actually understood. So you did your part. And I just want to, you know, applaud you for that because that sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah. Thank you. I, I think I personally think that you handled the situation, like the situation really, really well. Right. I, I think it was me. I'd probably be a little more rude than that. But like, I, I really appreciate the way you handle the situation. Very professional of you. And oh man, I just want to carry the conversation back to you and just put more of the emphasis in the podcast on who Tiffany is. So like taking a huge step back, I wonder how you set your goals. Right. Because I know you mentioned that you had a really rough childhood. A lot of people at that point will, will just be a victim and start blaming everything of their circumstances, not really take control. Right. And I feel like not an opposite spectrum. You really took control and sort of led the, led your life down the path that you want to let you want to live in every single aspect that you do right now. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, I wonder how like you set goals for back when you were just starting medical school and then after medical school and then being a, a, a TikTok star, reality star, like, man, these, these goals, are pretty miraculous because you manage to hit the top of the cream every single time. Right. So like, how do you personally manifest everything, set your goals, get your mindset straight to be like, I am, I can do this. Why not me? Right. And actually put together like a small actionable step to get there. We want to hear more about that. Well, I believe in setting like one, three, five, ten, and then like life goals. And that's usually how I plan out my year. So every quarter or so I get my planner out and I look at what I wrote down and I write these things down because if you don't write them down, you'll trick yourself into thinking like, no, I didn't say that, you know, and it's like, I write things down. So it's like lose five pounds by June, 2022, you know, like, or be able to bench press this much by this. I mean, these are concrete goals. There's short-term goals. I believe in having like career, family, and then like personal, which is sort of like my mental health, wellness, fitness, how I look. And for my family, it's, you know, get my kids into private school, make sure they're at least a year ahead in their learning than the actual year that they are. Make sure that my husband and I are having a date night every night and we don't lose our marriage because a lot of people's marriage, they just sort of grow apart because they're focusing on their careers and the kids. So you have to nurture a marriage. 
And then of course, my career goals, publishing, doing research, mentoring and teaching medical students and residents, which I continue to do. And then you mentioned the TikTok thing and the reality TV thing, but really those were never, I never wrote those down as goals. TikTok happened on accident because of quarantine and because I have two stepkids, which Nicole or um, which Maggie uh, introduced, uh, Nicole and Nathan. And when quarantine happened, they were with us and my kids were five. So I had five-year-old twins and 15-year-old twins <laughs> and we were stuck in the house. And my 15-year-old at that time, Nicole was doing these dances on her phone, you know, and I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, it's this app called TikTok. And I was like, what is that? So I downloaded it on my phone so that I could like her videos. And then one day I just like was like, oh, I'm going to make my own TikTok. And I did. And it went viral. And it was things inside an Asian house that just make sense or things you do at an Asian. I don't know. And it was like you come inside, you take off your shoes. There's always warm rice, you know, all these sorts of things. And it like went viral. And then all of a sudden I had like a hundred thousand TikTok followers. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then we just kept going and going. And now I have over a million, but like, I didn't plan that. And it wasn't a goal. (laughs) That was an accident. Same with the reality TV thing. I went on the show because I wanted, you know, to increase representation of Asian women and especially of professional Asian women. Because I think there's this fallacy that, you know, you can't possibly be a doctor and be on TV having a good time because that makes you less of a professional in some way. And I think there's a double standard um, there towards women as well. It's like, okay if guys kind of do that, but like women, it makes them less of a professional. And I just wanted to sort of show people that you can be all of these things and and well-adjusted, well, relatively, and be a happy person that gives back to the community. And so that's what I did. I did not know at the time that I was taping for Housewives or that it came out and I was watching it. We only get the episodes two days before it goes out to the public. So by then it's too late to fix anything. I had no idea that this was going to blow up and that, you know, I was going to be contacted by major news outlets to talk about AAPI activism and, you know, women in science and medicine. Like, I mean, I say that it's an accident, but in some ways I was the right target to speak on those things, right? Like if I didn't have all of my life experiences that we've been discussing. And then I went on housewives and got drunk and misbehaved and whatever. They wouldn't have called me about AAPI activism because, you know, I have no experience in that. So I, I say that it's an accident, but I suppose in some ways I was led to this position in my life to be able to talk about these things. Yes. I, that's just so powerful to me because I remember you mentioning that when you were asked to be on the Real Housewives of Dallas, you were so busy that you didn't even know if you wanted to be on it. Right. But then because they knew that you were the right person to speak on these different topics, they had asked you to be on the show. And I think you also realized that, you know, even though you were so busy, it is the perfect opportunity for you to be on the show because there's so much inspiration and resources that you can provide to other young girls. So it, it, it worked out perfectly, you know, and I, I, I just love how that all happened. I love that you mentioned that Nicole was the one who was on TikTok first prior. What was her what was her reaction like when you blew up on the on TikTok? I'm just curious. 
she is equal part fascinated and embarrassed <laughs> because she is now a senior in high school and just got accepted into several universities. So she's going to be choosing which one she's going to go to this fall. But she was like, oh, my God, this guy came up to me the other day at school and he was like, oh, my God, I follow your stepmom on TikTok. And she was like, that's cool. <sighs> So, you know, it's kind of cool. It's cool whenever I get free stuff, like people send me PR packages and I'm like, hey, do you want this face mask? Do you want this nail polish? You know, stuff like that. And she's like, they sent you this for free. And I'm like, yeah, she's like, that's so cool. But then whenever, you know, I'm being embarrassing, she's like, God, you're so embarrassing. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that. And the topic about like the face masks being sent to you and stuff, when Dr. Tiffany Moon says that you can literally do it all, she really means that because even though your, your TikTok videos are on like family stuff and anesthesiology, there's so many people who comment on your TikTok videos and say like, I can't stop staring at your makeup because it's so perfect. And that's what I mean when I say like, you can literally do it all because your makeup is like always so perfect. I I would like mistaken you for a makeup artist. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. (laughs) One of my TikToks, you know, they have different things that are trending, but it was like a couple of months ago. And it was like, when you went to school for 24 years, but the most common question you get asked is what's your makeup routine? Oh, I love it so much. That's so funny. <laughs> so now that, you know, you've built up such a big following on TikTok and on Instagram, we know that you are working on a new YouTube channel called Pageant Dr. Moon, and it's going to be covering a wide variety of topics from pop culture, fashion, food, medical practicing and more. Can you talk a little bit about that and what your goals are for your new YouTube channel? Yeah, I get questions on TikTok and Instagram like, you know, how did you become a doctor at the age of 23 or I'm 30 years old and I just now decided I want to be a doctor. How what do I need to do or just, you know, what's your makeup routine? But on Instagram, it's hard to explain a whole makeup routine. And on TikTok, they give you three minutes maximum. And so I needed a platform where I could talk for a longer period of time. And my friend was like, you should start a YouTube channel. And I was like, aren't I like 10 years too late to that game? And she was like, oh, it's never too late. Like, let's just start it. I'll help you edit your videos. So we started it. I mean, you know, it's it's grassroots, but um, we called it paging Dr. Moon because I wanted to evoke the sense that you could page me for things like help with relationship advice or career advice or makeup advice, you know, so that we thought it would be cute to have paging Dr. Moon. And then you say what you're paging me for. So we're going to page you right now. Can you give us some relationship (laughs) advice? Oh, I I freely dispense relationship advice. Yes. Uh, So what, what is the secret to a happy marriage? We're asking you a very hard and simple question at the same time. We're paging you, Dr. Moon. No, I I think it's it it is hard and simple at the same time. The real answer is communication is being on the same page, because so often in a marriage, people get their feelings hurt because there's a miscommunication. Well, I thought that you blah, blah, blah. When the other person, that's not what they were thinking or that's not what they meant. But that's, you know, and and the longer you let that go on, like the more divergent you end up being. And so my husband and I, from the very beginning, had a very open communication policy. And then this is not sexy at all. But every Sunday we sit down for an hour without the kids and we talk about stuff and we run our schedule for the next week. 
he's like, oh, I have this investment dinner um, Wednesday night, so I won't be home for dinner with the kids. And then I'll be like, oh, I have this other thing or, you know, I'm traveling or he's traveling. So we're just like matching up calendars. And then we make sure to have a date night every night. I mean, every week, one night that we go out without the kids. And even during quarantine, we didn't go out, but we bought groceries and we would cook together. And our nanny would have the girls eat in our theater room and like watch a movie and have pizza and stuff. And then he and I would have a separate dinner with like wine and we'd grill some fish or something so that we had a clear separation of, you know, time to work on our marriage versus family time. I love that. That's absolutely great advice. Maggie and I actually, so Maggie and I are dating. I'm not sure you guys know. (laughs) (laughs) Maggie and I are dating. But it's so, because we're also co-founders of Asian Hustle Network. So it's so easy for us to talk about business all the time. So we actually got into a habit of time blocking everything where it's like, this is from seven to nine. It's strictly like non-business related things. Like you talk about fun things, right? Yeah. And I, I do agree that it's all about communication because there's so many countless times that we can mention about our relationship where we argue for no reason because like we weren't on the same page, right? right? And communication itself sounds easy, but it's hard. And you have to put it's effort, very hard. It's like the root of end. most human, you know, arguments. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely agree. So I'm going to page you again. I'm going to ask this time to ask you about <laughs> mental health, right? Because yeah. I feel like you're putting on so many different hats every day. You're a doctor, you're a TikTok star, you're a mom, you know, you're, you know, doing a lot of different things. And it's like, I hear this, you know, taking care of your family and everything. How do you take care of yourself? Right. Because that is so important and it's so easy to slide back and forth into like, I always call it like oblivion. <laughs> it's like, things are going well, it's not going well. And then when you're doing your own thing, you're doing lots of things. It's like, you go through an emotional roller coaster. So how do you yeah. keep that part stable? Yeah. I think for probably the first half of my children's life, I thought that it was like a badge of honor to kind of not take care of yourself, you know, not eat healthily, not work out, not prioritize my own sleeping because I was either working or taking care of my children. Those were sort of the priorities on any given day. It would either be work and then two would be the kids or some days it'd be the kids and then work, you know, if they were sick or something like that. And and then, you know, last on the list was like me. And I hit a point where I was just like so frazzled and and run thin that I didn't have anything left to give to any of my interpersonal relationships. I was like an empty shell of a person because I had poured from my cup for so long that my cup was empty. And I realized like that adage is true. Like you cannot pour from an empty cup. And so from then I made it a point to take care of myself concurrently while taking care of other people. But I didn't really do that until the last several years. So I have what I um, call self-care Sundays, which is like a segment of um, YouTube that we're working on where I basically share my tips for how to stay well, because I think the problem with Americans and and the healthcare system here is that we focus too much on treating disease instead of staying well in the first place. And I myself um, fell victim to that. And I see it every day in the hospital. You know, we treat heart attacks and strokes and ischemic limbs after people have had diabetes and hypertension for decades, but very little goes into nutritional teaching and, you know, teaching people how to stay fit and well, right? Like, I think that's the problem with the healthcare system here, but 
Yeah. So I am sharing a lot of my tips for wellness on my YouTube channel. I like that. And it's funny, again, so many parallels. Maggie and I have mental health Sundays. (laughs) (laughs) The same thing. Yeah. Oh my God. This is even more, it's even more parallel between us. So you graduate college at age 19. I did too. Where where did you go to school? I went to school in SoCal, Southern California. So okay. it's like, we have a lot of commonality already. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> That's so, so funny. Things. I know. Yeah. I love it. So Tiffany, what what's next, right? You're, you're so oh amazing at everything that you do. And it's like, what else do you want to do? Do you want to go to space? <laughs> <You wanna? laughs> I'm not Elon Musk. I have, I have no such right. space aspiration. Don't say that yet. It might happen. Okay. <laughs> you might wake up one day and be like, I want to go to space. <laughs> no, you know, I looked at my planner the other day, which we alluded to previously, and I don't have things on there like, you know, be on a reality TV show or, you know, all these things. I'm happy with where I am in my career. If I'm never on TV again, that is just fine by me. It was such a unique opportunity that I was given. And I'm so glad that I did that. But like, it was never my goal, like I said, to, you know, be a reality TV star. I would love to write a book about my life and and sort of my tips and advice for other young women. So I'm marinating on that. I wrote a children's book about um, fitting in and sort of discovering your own uniqueness and and priding yourself on your own unique individualness instead of trying to be like everyone else, which I think children focus on. So I'm going to try to get that book picked up by a publisher. It's a children's book. And then I don't know, like (laughs) I, I am happy doing all of the things that I am doing right now. Like there's not some secret project that I'm working on that I'm not telling you guys. If all I ever do from now on is be a doctor and be a mom and be a wife and be a stepmom and be a mentor and a teacher and a TikTok star, I'm fine with that. That's a lot of things already. (laughs) (laughs) That is a lot of things, but we can tell that you are just so confident and so happy in the place that you are today. And it just, you just exude that confidence. So it's just amazing to hear you say that. Is there a title for the book as of right now or is that a secret? It's no, it's not even written. It's in my head. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. It, we just, so I'm, I just finished the children's book. So I think, you know, the book, it's like, a. I would put that, you know, on the three to five year plan. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. We just wanted to make sure we promote it. When oh <laughs> no, no, it doesn't exist right now. The only thing I'm promoting are my candles. So Ooh. yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We didn't talk about that. <laughs> Yeah, well, during quarantine, I started a candle line as a way to relieve my anxiety because I I have severe anxiety and then COVID hit and I was still working as a full-time anesthesiologist, like intubating people. And I would get it in my head that this patient coughed on me and that I was going to bring COVID home and like, you know, give it to my kids and, you know, the worrier goes. And so then I started mixing essential oils, aromatherapy to sort of relax myself And, you know, humans are incredible. We have incredible olfactory memory, which is like when a smell hits you and it it takes you back to like grandma's house. So I started training my brain to associate certain smells with tranquility and rest and relaxation because I would start having like the beginning of like a little panic attack about COVID related things. And I could feel my heart rate getting high and my breathing getting shallow And so I trained my brain so I would like smell something. It sounds so wonky, I know. 
And then I would train my brain when I smelled that to like start relaxing and meditating. And so then instead of just having essential oils, like on a stick, I just poured them into wax and started burning it. And then I sent them to all my friends as a COVID care package because I was worried about all my friends and if they had anxiety and we couldn't see each other and all these trips got canceled. So I made these cute little candles, hand wrote cards and sent them all over the country to all my friends. And I called it the COVID care package. And one of my friends said to me, did you make this candle? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, you need to sell this. This is amazing. And I was like, no, like no one wants a candle. Like they'll just go to Bath and Body Works and buy a candle. And she was like, no, like this is so good. It's hand poured. I can tell that you like personally designed all this stuff. So she encouraged me to sell it. And if it weren't for her, I wouldn't have done it because I didn't think it could become anything. And so then I started the website with my friend, learn how to like make a website, put it online. And like my 2021 sales were like high, like I sold a lot of candles. <laughs> you would not, I, I don't believe it. I don't, when I look at my sales sometimes, like, I'm like, this is crazy. Like people really like candles. <laughs> Oh yeah. People love candles. It's a highly profitable business. We have friends that own candle businesses. It's crazy. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like the candle business is going to make as much as the doctor business. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. When you smell a certain smell, it kind of triggers, it has the the ability to trigger a memory. Yeah. That's why it's, it's like a lot of people love candles so much. Yeah, that is another productivity hack that I will give you guys. So I have so many scents now and the ones that I did research on, there are certain scents that are energizing to the brain, such as citrus, like grapefruit, especially. And it also curbs your appetite, which is good for my five pounds that I need to lose. So when I need to do work, I burn certain candles and that makes my brain think like, oh, it's work time. Like it's not TikTok time. It's not fart around with your kids time. And then there's other candles that I burn for certain situations. You know, there's a sexy time candle too. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of communication. (laughs) Like I'm lighting this candle. This candle's lit. Like I'm telling you something. (laughs) So Tiffany, we have one last question for you. And that is, if you could give one advice to a young girl who... No, how about this? How about <laughs> advice to a professional in a medical field that wants a side hustle, right? Oh. I feel like I feel and like a lot of my PA friends, dentist friends, autonomy friends are like, oh, I can't do anything else. I'm pigeonholed into my career. Okay, right. but I do want to know about the advice for young girls. We'll do yeah. both because do both. I am an overachiever. <laughs> I want my, <laughs> my advice that I can give to young girls. <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry for talking over you, Maggie. Yes. No, it's okay. Um, I'll do Maggie's first because ladies should go first. You know, I think about this question sometimes, like what advice would have really hit home with me when I was a young girl? And it's not so much advice. It's just having someone to look up to And who can say to you, like, you can do it. Because so often when I was a little girl, I was told you can't do it. I was told you shouldn't even try because that's out of your realm, you know? And I think we've really pivoted as a society to encouraging young women to do things that before they may not have been encouraged to do. And I think that all children really need is someone to be a good example for them and someone to really believe in them. 
I love that. Thank you so much for that advice. And then Brian's question was, what advice would you give to someone in the medical field, right? Who's looking to start a side hustle? Yeah, there are droves of physicians quitting clinical medicine. And I could, you know, go into hours about why that is. But suffice it to say that there are many medical professionals that are looking for what we term a side hustle, which is basically a way to not do clinical medicine 100% of the time, because frankly, we're burned out. That's the truth. It's not impossible. You have to have good business sense. And everybody thinks that just because they did good in biology and they're smart and they're a doctor that they're good in business. That's not true. Doctors are some of the worst investors ever. So I say, educate yourself like you went to medical school. So you're obviously okay with school. Pick up books on investing, real estate, Bitcoin, whatever your jam is. I have friends who deals horses like he buys horses, trades horses, makes a lot of money. I don't know. You have to learn about it, though. You can't just, you know, think that's like easy money, right? Like, oh, I have one hundred thousand dollars laying around, so I'll just do this and it'll turn into this. No, because if it were that easy, everybody would be doing it. But the side hustle thing is, is not impossible. You just have to pick like a niche. Like what exactly are you going to do? Are you going to do something medically related, like coaching other people or commonly done is real estate. I have a friend who like bought an Airbnb and now he is seven and he makes mad cash on renting out Airbnbs. My parents do a lot of real estate investing as well, but they do like apartment complexes here in Texas, buying those and developing them. So you just have to pick a niche of something that you are passionate about, or perhaps you have a connection to that field and then learn about it and then just start doing it. It's like everything else in life. That's really, really powerful advice. And yes, I absolutely agree. Anyone can do it, but you really have to learn about it rather than just jumping right into it. Right. So thank you so much for sharing that. And Dr. Tiffany Moon, how can our listeners find out more about you online? I have my website, which is tiffanymoonmd.com. From there, you can email me or you can follow me on any of my social media channels, which is just Tiffany Moon MD on Twitter, Instagram, and most importantly, TikTok, as well as my new YouTube page. I would love if you would subscribe because I have like 100 subscribers. We will be sure to all add all of that to our show notes of this episode. Tiffany, it was amazing having you on our podcast today. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.